Hello, lads. Welcome to another episode of the Second Dog Podcast with the person that I want to get in for a long, long time. A person I've known for a few years' time that's helped me spark my um, my uh, my bow on career, kind of. Uh, my first bow on teacher ever. Uh, I will introduce now Amy Fowler Courtney. Hi, Matthew. How are you? Good, good. How are you getting on? I'm all right. Not too bad. Good. Um, can you just give an introduction to the listeners, just to uh, if some people don't know you? Well, my name is Amy Farrell Courtney, and I specialize in the baron, which is an unusual instrument, percussion instrument to specialize. Um, and so I've been playing the baron all my life. I started when I was in school and have kept going with it, um, studied music and up to very recently before the pandemic um, was a touring professional musician. So, um, and was it the, and you're in the, the Celtis as well? Yeah, I'm a tutor in Cultus Cultury Erin. Um, I was in many different branches over the years, um, including Maynooth. That's where I met you, Matt. Yes, I did. I'm sure you, you, you sparked the love of uh, Baron that I have now for, um, how, how many years now do, did I deal with you? You did it for a few years. Yeah, Maynooth was a new branch um, and I think you were there from from close enough to the start. Um, they, they've been running it a few years at this point um, and they've grown Irish traditional music or the interest in Irish traditional music in the Maynooth area for some years. So it's great to see that love of music with younger people. Um, and it was, uh, and I, I'm trying to remember now when my first competition was, was it 2016? Am I right? Uh, was it was earlier? I think so. Yes. Um, and it's, it's a daunting experience when you're competing in music, especially if you haven't had many sessions under your belt. And for those of you who aren't really familiar with Irish traditional music, we have gatherings of music where we just play and just share music. And that's what's called a session. And so if you haven't had many sessions or opportunities to play music, going straight into competition is quite daunting. And I know that you hadn't had at that point um, many sessions under your belt and um, hadn't played a huge amount before you went into competing. So it is daunting. Yeah. Uh, just a few questions here, Amy. When and why did you start playing the baron? I started playing the baron when I was about seven and I went to a Gwale school. And as you know, as part of a Gwale school, you're really embedded in the culture of um, of Ireland and, and Irish music, Irish sport um, and the Irish language as well. And so I just heard the baron and I really wanted to take it up. Um, and it was something that a lot of girls were actually doing in my um, school, which is unusual now to see so many girls playing the baron, but I thought it was a really cool instrument. Um, and so it was just, yeah, and you just sparked it from there, and sure, here you are now. That's right. Yeah, just a few years later now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just to put your time flies by. <laughs> uh, do you remember what would the, the your first teacher who who uh, who taught you or did were you a natural learner? No, I started off in school, so we would have. Um, after school classes in music. So the Baron was just one of those that was offered. And my tutor was called Roisin Nolan. And she's very kind of traditional style of Baron playing. And so we started off with Roisin. And then when I was a little bit older, she advised me then to go for other classes because she knew that I was kind of, I suppose, a natural at it and that she wanted to, um, 
really for me to develop my skills. And so she knew that another teacher might be kind of more in line with what I needed. And so I went to one other tutor. And then from there, I just did it myself then for many years. How many years now have you been playing the bow on? Was it since you were seven, was it? Since I'm seven, yeah, just a few. I'm too afraid to count, Matthew. <laughs> time, time, again, Amy, time flies by. Time flies by. Um, which uh, famous musicians do you admire, if you have any? Um, that's a good question. Um, I admire a lot of musicians from lots of different genres. So a lot of people, when they play a certain genre or they're involved in a certain thing, much like yourself with sport, you know, everyone always asks you, who's the person in that um, discipline that you admire the most? And for me, I always have looked outside of what I do. So in terms of musicians, I would look at other percussionists, perhaps, rather than maybe baron players or other styles of music um, rather than just traditional music. So my kind of influences are really vast, but I suppose um, the likes of percussionist Noel Eccles is, is, has been really influential in my development as a musician. And he, um, you might know of Riverdance, and he was the very first percussionist with Riverdance. So he composed a lot of the percussion within that. So um, uh, uh, he's, you know, anytime you turn on the TV, it's probably Noel playing percussion in the background. You know, he's involved in lots of different areas of percussion in Ireland. And I suppose he was very influential for me. Um, and uh, it's uh, I I know many percussionists and like uh, the likes of Ringo Starr and all that. But one of the lads asked here was Matt a fa- was Matt a fast learner? Um, yes, I think you had natural rhythm, or you have natural rhythm, and so it's just a case of focusing on the tiny technical elements which can take time and that's the case for a lot of people so you might be extremely natural at a certain thing it doesn't have to be music but it's actually to really refine your technique and that's the tricky thing that's what takes time so it's not so much like you're slow or you're fast learner it's that you might have um one aspect of what you're doing that you need to really spend more time on um, and other parts of your technique or other parts of what you're doing is is very, um, I suppose, natural to you. Um, I actually, I remember my first competition, and to be honest, I, I'm going to be brutally honest here, I was brutally nervous about going into that <laughs> room and playing. Even though there was one person that was in the whole, like, league sort of thing, it was me. I still was so nervous, because that was my first competition. And I was like, I didn't even know what I was getting myself into. And I thought, like, oh, yeah. like, this was going to be really hard. But, like, once I kind of sat in the room and, like, I, I kind of got used to it, I was like, yeah, this is, like, this is good. And um, then the 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 trial drummers thing came along. That was actually that was extremely memorable now for me uh, for the trial drummers thing that I done. Exactly for the trial drummers project and for those that maybe don't know, um, the trial drummers project is something that I set up for younger people to really get involved in music and in the collaborative aspect of music, actually making the music rather than being taught. Because if you're going to music classes or or you're doing activities. Um, a lot of the time it's the director or the person in charge that's telling you what to do in terms of that activity. So I really wanted to set something up that gave young people a chance to really express how they feel through music and then obviously a chance for uh, for performance. And so I know that you were very nervous at that point, the first Tread Drummers, um, Matthew. And, you know, it was uh, it's something that a lot of people would be in the same situation. As I said before, remember, if like you don't have much experience of something um, doing something new or outside of the comfort zone, it's very daunting experience. Um, 
just uh, another question here. Have you performed in front of anyone famous, such as a president or someone else famous? Yeah, I've I've <laughs> I've played for a lot of presidents um, and royal family. So I did in Ireland. I would have played for um, a lot of presidents in Oris Anuthron. So I would have been invited to Oris Anuthron when visiting presidents were coming over. So for any kind of dignitaries coming from abroad, and then in two thousand, I won the World Baron Championship in two thousand and ten. Um, and that in the summer of 2010 and that September, I was invited to go on a state visit with the then president, Mary McAleese, and we toured around Russia. We were on a trade mission in Russia. Um, so I met lots of um, dignitaries over in Russia as well. Um, and then a few years later, I did my second um, state tour to um, England this time. And this was the very first time um, an Irish president had been officially invited to the UK. And this was in 2014 and that was with our president that we have now president michael d higgins and we got to perform for the royal family how how was the how was the the trip over to to england and russia um i suppose it's it's a it's a it's a big deal when you're involved in something like that it's a huge operation you know um when I went to to England, it was it was a short enough trip, um, and we were actually going over for a concert. So we were performing in the Royal Albert Hall, and the, they were putting on a concert called Kailura, and it was to celebrate Irish and English relations, um, and that was you know a really fantastic and memorable experience, and I really enjoyed sitting there in the room because of the atmosphere was just so electric it was just amazing and it was one of those moments that you say to yourself i'm going to remember this forever and um much the same as when i went to russia we were you know we were kind of we were with president mary mcleese um in motorcades and you know they were shutting down roads for us and you know the security was really high things like that it was just like an abnormal experience i suppose that you don't really um have if i go on tour now it's not going to be like that you know so um it's a it's it's kind of a once in a lifetime experience i suppose uh did you meet um president putin or did you meet any other high up russian dignitaries yeah i met i didn't meet um president putin but i met a lot of dignitaries from from Russia and um, we were in Moscow and we were in St. Petersburg and we would have met a lot of a lot of we had a kind of like a state um performance so we were performing for dignitaries so there were really too many to mention there um was it the same for England did you meet uh, did you get to meet any of the royal family or the queen or anyone like that the queen wasn't out that night that I went over, but we did meet some of the royal family. So we had um, what's called a, a royal lineup. So you have a, a line, you have to all line up and you, you meet the, the dignitary. So we met the royal family um, or members of the royal family for that. Um, and then obviously our president, President um, D, D, President Michael D. Higgins. Michael D. Um, Higgins, the man himself. Yeah, yeah great president. Um, how do you handle mistakes during a performance if you have any have ever had any mistakes? Mistakes are opportunities for variations, right? So if you make a mistake, okay, it's probably not something that you intended to do, but it's an opportunity to explore creativity. Um, and when when you look at it that way, you're not intimidated by mistakes. 
And so, as I said before, okay, it's not something that you intended to do, but it might be kind of a really happy mistake because you might find a new way of doing something. Um, so if like, say if you even just like dropped it, drop the stick, how, how would mm -hmm. you recover from that? Um, I don't drop the stick very often. Um, it has happened twice um for very funny <laughs> reasons or in very funny situations and my very last concert that i did before the lockdown i dropped my stick it was like it had never happened like that ever before um, and it was in a solo and it was such a funny thing to happen that i just start laughing um and the per the musician beside me just handed me my stick um but i was so engrossed in what i was doing that i didn't realize that my hand had actually cramped um, cause it was a long, it was a long tour that I was doing. Um, and my, my hands were, were not in good shape at the, by the, that stage. And my hand just went into a little cramp and I didn't even realize it because I was so engrossed in playing and my, my hand just said, no more, I'm not going to do this anymore. And just, um, the stick just dropped a little bit. And, um, it was a really funny experience because it obviously happens so, <laughs> so rarely. So, um, I just had to laugh and the musician beside me just got it up for me and and, and 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 you continued uh do you yeah. get nervous before performance or do you have any like pre-performance uh routines or a practice or pre-performance practice so before a performance i would do a very long warm-up so the warm-up starts actually at your sound check so um prior to the gig you would have your sound check um depending on what the gig was or where it was on um, it could be right before the gig or it could be a few hours before the gig. So usually if you're doing a sound check, you're not obviously going to, to sound check the whole concert. You're just going to do very specific um, pieces from your, your repertoire to actually perform and just make sure that the sound is okay. But you might be playing very fast or with a lot of energy. And so you can't go from zero to 100. So you have to do a little bit of a warm-up before then so if I was working with a group so the last group that I was performing with was a band called Cara and we they were based out in Germany so a lot of our work would be abroad in in Europe and so if I was doing a sound check I would make sure that I would be the last person to sound check so that I would have some sort of warm-up my bandmates were always very nice to let me do that <laughs> so um i would always make sure that i would do that because um, i think it's very important and then in terms of before the gig i would do try and get um you know between 25 to 40 minutes warm up and it's very difficult when you're on the road to make sure that that happens it doesn't always happen and um, most of the time it doesn't happen the way you would like it to happen because of you know the logistics of of, of um touring or maybe food and different things like that um so it's very difficult to have a good warm-up but it, it's really important to me that i do a, a sort of warm-up and i would do um yoga do some stretches do a lot of stretching beforehand and then do a physical warm-up um with my instrument um and then sometimes if it was a really big gig i might have some like maybe chamomile tea but on a normal day it's just get out there and do it so I don't get nervous but um I like to keep my muscles and my body as relaxed as I can so I would do some maybe grounding exercise beforehand um and and do some yoga just just before I, I get out there
it's just like uh, it kind of when I'm listening to that, it's like when you're warming up, it's just like before a boxing match or something like that, you'd be warming up in the locker room. You, you don't want to go out that cold, so you'd have to no. you you come on, you build up a sweat and you, you, you get it get out get out there warm and do your thing and win the fight. But um, how many how long would you practice for a day? Like what what would you be your weekly schedule? Let's say. Well, it's very different when you're touring or when you're just kind of doing projects at home. So if you if you are touring, because I've been touring for the past kind of four years, um, obviously not now in lockdown, but if you were touring, um, as I say, you would be playing an awful lot during the day because of your performance and then because of your your sound check and warm up. Um, so say a gig would be about two hours. So it's two hours of full play. So you're you're as you say, like like an athlete, you are using your body like an athlete, but most of the time musicians don't look after their bodies like athletes they actually destroy their bodies and they do everything in their power not to um not to use their bodies to the best of their ability so for instance like sleep so you would get very little sleep if you're touring and most musicians would like to have you know a nice um evening um and so they're cutting their their sleep short and then you're getting up really early in the morning for traveling and so you don't obviously don't have time to practice so you're you're on a plane or you're in a car or a train or whatever it is for X amount of hours, like for, for instance, in Germany, you could be in, in the tour van for about five hours and then you get to your gig and you're stiff, you're um, tired um, and then you get out and it's straight into warm up. So it's exactly as I said there, you're straight into warm up, then you're preparing for the gig, then you might eat and then you have a more warm up again for the actual concert and then you have the gig so your your day in terms of practice you don't really get much time for practice depending on what type of touring you're doing but for for a, t- a, the type of touring where you're traveling an awful lot you really don't get time um for in the states i would have had travel days so you would travel um every other day so you would have maybe you would have some days off um and i would definitely go to the gym um, do do try and get some movement in because you can imagine it you're you're very restricted in terms of movement so you don't get much exercise and um you're not using your body to to the best of its ability uh, and you want it to work for you um so if it, it was an athlete they're probably doing all they can to to stretch and train and all of that but a musician is kind of the opposite and they still want their body to perform at peak performance so it's um it's it's very contradictory really so I really try and look after myself when I am away as best I can and um, so that uh, in terms of practice it's it's really depending on what you're doing and um, I don't have kind of set set um schedule for practice you definitely can't when you're touring um but in terms of like the day-to-day at home I, I would teach an awful lot so I'm playing throughout the day so unless I was preparing for something so I'm preparing for an album right now um, so I would, you know, do X amount of hours every day. Um, I would, and it would depend on on how I can fit that into my actual schedule. So I'll try not to sit down for a bulk bulk amount of hours. So I break it down into smaller kind of sections so that my body is not going, um, kind of hot and cold too often. Um. So like, so you just like you'd be kind of. I say it'd be very strenuous on the body as well for being stuck in a, in a van for you know for so long and then just getting out there. Um, would would that be? I say that would be a bit of a problem. But sure, you, you get through it and you go and as you said, you, you go to the gym whenever you're whenever you're free. So uh, that that's good. Um, how, how would you give any uh, performance? So would you give any uh, like any advice for beginners for um, for music? 
for music. Um, if, if you're learning an instrument, if you're starting off with music, um, you're probably really focused about technique um, and actually getting playing, right? You want to make a sound, you want to start playing. And what's important to do is actually balance playing with listening and understanding what you're doing. And it's much the same for every single discipline. Um, you want to get out there and like, you know, for, for boxing, you want to get out there and do it. But at the same time, you need to understand what you're doing. And so I think that time reflecting on what you're doing is very important. So whether it's for music, it would be listening um, to, to a lot of music. We would say like 70% listening and 30% actually playing when you're starting off, which a lot of beginners wouldn't want to do something like that. They actually want to, you know, get um, get moving and make, get, you know, make music, I suppose. So that would be an important part of, of learning. And the other thing is take things slow um and it's you know there are a lot of studies out there to show that actually learning music at a slow rate is much more beneficial than actually going in doing something at a faster tempo so when we um you know get you know quite good at doing something then we expect to learn but there's actually different ways into ways in which to learn so you have your kind of playing speed and then you would have your learning speed and it's important to actually distinguish between those two things uh, Amy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it and I, I hope you have a great day. Thank you so much and you too and to all your listeners.